thanks for tuning in this week to Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church plant located in the Pasadena area. It is our mission to save the lost, to equip the saved, to serve both the lost and the saved, and finally to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting from the beginning of a book and working our way through all the way till the end. It is our prayer that you would grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ through his word. When I was in seventh grade, I took a school trip to Washington, D.C. and to New York City, and one of my friends whose name was Dave, he was committed to getting a Rolex watch from some street vendor there in New York. He thought, you know what, it's going to be stolen, it's going to be cheap, and you know, he had this plan. And so you know, during that trip, we had the souvenir shopping day, and so he goes out to street vendors, and he's asking different people if they have watches. And you know, this one guy, a little bit dodgy looking, comes and you know, pulls out from this hidden bag all these watches and opens it up, and there is a Rolex Rolex watch, a gold Rolex watch, and, you know, my friend Dave says, you know, is it real? And a guy, of course, says, oh, of course it's real. And so he gives him several hundred dollars for this watch, and for, you know, the rest of the day, I mean, here's a seventh grader, he's showing it off, man, I got this great deal, here's a, you know, few thousand dollar watch for a few hundred dollars, and he's all excited, and then that night he goes to get a shower, and he takes off the watch, and he sees that his arm has some green stuff on it, and he doesn't know what that is, and <clears throat> discovers that his Rolex was fake. And so, you know, sadly, Dave had to realize that it was a knockoff. You know, we have a lot of knockoff stuff today. You got knockoff phones, you got knockoff clothes. But, you know, the goal of these knockoffs is to make you feel like you got the real thing to rip you off and to get your money. And for something, you know, the majority of knockoffs, that's all you're losing. Like Dave, he he lost money. But there's a knockoff that is far worse than, you know, a watch or a phone or, or some clothes. It's knockoff Christianity. And we see a lot of that in the church world today where people are trying to present themselves as true Christians or true pastors or a true, you know, Christianity when the reality is what they are and what they're presenting is very far from Christianity. It is false. You know, last week we started a new section in 2 Corinthians titled Calling because it's Paul defending his calling as an apostle. And one of the reasons that Paul has taken the time at the end of this letter to deal with this, to defend his calling as an apostle, is because not only have the Corinthians rejected his apostolic authority, but they've gone a step further. They started to accept false apostles. So they're rejecting Paul, many of them, and saying, you're not an apostle, and they're accepting and believing and following many people who were false apostles teaching false doctrines. And so Paul wants to continue his defense of his apostleship. And in this chapter, we're going to see him really focusing on this group of false apostles that the Corinthians started to follow and accept and believe, and he's going to do a comparison between himself and them. Uh, Not a comparison, a contrast of, you know, what he's like versus what they are like, and he wants to do this to help them to see that not all apostles or people who claim that are true. Not all people who say their ministries are from God are are really from God. Not all people who are, you know, ministers are, are truly ministers from God. And so he wants the Corinthians to understand the truth of his apostolic authority, but also the reality that they're following people who are leading them into things that 
are false. And so here in chapter 11, Paul is going to be focusing on that. And it's very applicable, very important for us today, because within our culture, we have a lot of false ministries, ministries that are claiming to be Christian that are not. We have false pastors. We have, you know, false ministers. We have people who are are wanting to be seen as something that is true and leading you in the right way, in a biblical way. But in reality, that is not the case. They are just knockoffs seeking to rip you and I off. And so what Paul shares here is really something that will protect us. When you see the difference of what is true versus what is false, hopefully you don't get duped into buying or investing in or following the knockoff instead of the real thing. And so let's see what we can learn here. Chapter 11, starting in verse 1, says this, Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me, For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband that I might present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Paul starts off saying something here. He says, oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. Something that's important to know, and we're going to see this throughout this chapter, is Paul felt like the fact that he had to defend his apostleship was folly. Not that it was stupid or or nonsense, but that he did it reluctantly. You know, he said, you know, my time and my effort could be spent much better than trying to defend something that I have here, but I recognize you guys need to know this, not only so that our relationship can be good, but also so that you can recognize what you have been following is false, and it's leading you into a negative place. And so Paul really you're going to see the the methods that he has to use in this chapter are are distasteful to him. He he doesn't want to focus on himself. He loves to focus on Jesus. He wants that to be the thing that he talks about. And so him having to talk about himself and his credentials and, you know, why he's an apostle, this isn't something that he enjoys, but it's something that he feels like he has to do because of where the Corinthians are at and who the Corinthians have chosen to follow. And so he basically continues to apologize that he has to do this but he feels that it's important for him to do it. And so in verse 2 he says, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. You know, another reason that Paul is going to share about himself is because of the feelings he has for these Corinthian believers and also because of the responsibility he has. But notice the feelings. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Now, normally when we hear this term jealous, we always associate with something that is sinful because normally when you and I are jealous, it is sinful, it's selfish, it's self-centered. But what we need to understand is actually not all jealousy is sinful. Not all jealousy is bad. Well, how do we know that? Well, because in Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, God speaking, this is when he gives the Ten Commandments, he's just given the first two of don't have any other gods before me, don't worship anything besides me. Well, why shouldn't you have another god before God? Well, he says, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. God calls himself jealous. Now, we know that God is sinless, and so there is a reality that there is a jealousy that is godly. Alan Redpath, a great commentator and pastor, said this about God's jealousy. God's jealousy is love in action. He refuses to share the human heart with any rival, not because he is selfish and wants us all for himself, but because he knows that upon that loyalty to him depends our very moral life. God is not jealous of us. He is jealous for us. 
You know, the jealousy of God for us, I think, is best seen in the cross. The fact that he was willing to sacrifice himself completely so that he could buy us back to himself, so that he could have that relationship with us again. He's jealous for us. He desperately loves us. He does not want us to perish, but to come to repentance and a relationship with him. And so there is this godly jealousy that Paul has for these Corinthians because these Corinthians are being led astray by false apostles, and, and Paul is jealous. I don't want that for you guys. I don't want you to go that direction. I don't want to see that in your life. And so I am motivated to share about something that I don't really enjoy sharing about, which is my apostolic authority to help you see the truth of what I am versus what these other guys that you've been following are. So first, Paul shares about his apostolic authority because of this feeling of a godly jealousy for the Corinthians. But the second reason is because he has a responsibility towards him. Paul goes on to say in verse 2, For I have betrothed you to one husband that I might present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Here Paul's using a picture of something that was common in the Jewish culture of his day. It was the responsibility of the two people called the friends of the bridegroom, one representing the groom and one representing the bride. And they had a responsibility within you know, the time of you know, courting or engagement all the way to the wedding. And a lot of it was practical of being liaisons between the bride and groom, carrying the invitations, doing a lot of practical things. But the most significant part of their responsibility was that of guaranteeing the chastity and purity of the bride. They wanted to make sure the bride was sexually pure before the wedding day. And so once the engagement was announced, one of the great responsibilities of the friend of the groom and the friend of the bride was make sure first the bride and groom didn't have any sexual relations, but that no one else was trying to hit on the bride, that nothing else was going on that would damage the purity of this bride. And so, um, you know, I think this is one of those Jewish customs. We see a lot of Jewish customs in scripture, but this would be a good one for our culture to adopt that, you know, when a couple gets engaged, that they have some friends around that are saying, you know what, we're going to help hold you accountable to stay pure until the day that you actually say, I do at the altar. But with this analogy, Paul is calling himself the friend of the bridegroom, and the bride are the Corinthians, and the husband is Jesus. And so Paul is saying, no, I feel it's my responsibility as the friend of the bridegroom to make sure you Corinthians are pure before Christ. And since I feel that's my responsibility, I want to share with you this apostolic authority I have because I want to make sure you guys are pure and you're actually kind of going down a path where you're going to be committing adultery by following these false apostles. Well, now that Paul reveals that he feels this responsibility, he's going to go on to share some fears he has. I have a responsibility to present you as pure, but I got some fears as I seek to do that. Notice what he shares in verse 3 and 4. But I fear, lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. So here are some fears that Paul has as he seeks to you know, keep this Corinthian group pure before the Lord. And he wants them to understand that his first fear is Satan's ability to deceive the Corinthians into missing the simplicity 
that is in Christ. And he reminds him of Satan's deceptive power. Remember what he did back in the garden with Eve? Remember how he's so good and so crafty at deceiving people into believing things that are not true. And so Paul is concerned that Satan's going to be successful into helping these Corinthian believers miss the simplicity of Christ, miss who Christ truly is, miss what he has done for them, and be led astray to buying into lies and things that are not true. Paul goes on to say in verse 4, For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which we have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. Paul recognized if Satan's deception works, you guys might get deceived into buying into another Jesus, a different spirit, and a different gospel. Now, the problem isn't that someone's trying to present another Jesus or a different spirit or a different gospel. That is common. That is something that happens all the time of false teachers presenting false doctrine. The problem here that Paul says is you Corinthians may well put up with it. This is the issue at hand is, yes, this exists, but the problem is you guys might actually accept it. You guys might actually turn from the truth and start following a lie. And that is my fear for you because Satan is so deceptive and these false teachers are in your life and you guys might actually start buying in to what they're saying now this problem that was in Corinth is the same problem that we have in the church world today we got a lot of knockoff Christianity a lot of people who are seeking to deceive us into something that isn't true and so we need to be very careful as we look at people's lives and we listen to what they teach that we don't follow things that are not biblical We need to be very discerning and testing what we see. So now that Paul has revealed his fears, he wants to now reveal the difference between himself and these false teachers. Verse 5. For I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles. Notice here how Paul refers to this group. He calls them the most eminent apostles. Apostles, And now this is referring to these false apostles, and we're going to see later on in the chapter he calls them what they really are. But it's interesting here that he uses this term. The Greek word means um, exceedingly great beyond measure. Almost all commentators believe Paul is being a bit sarcastic here, and he's referring to these guys the way in which they refer to themselves. Oh, we are the most eminent apostles. We are the the great, super wonderful apostles. We're so much better than Paul. We're so much better than everyone else. Uh, And so he's, you know, wanting to see, look at the contrast between me and these guys who claim to be so extra super in their apostolic authority. In the rest of this chapter, Paul's going to share five differences between himself and these guys who are claiming that they're apostles taking on this role, and he wants us to see the difference and to see what is a true apostle versus what is false. And the first difference we see in verse 6, and it says this, Even though I am untrained in speech, yet I am not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. Now, remember, Paul is speaking to the Corinthians, and, you know, they are Greeks. And one of the issues that people had with Paul was his speech. Because in Corinth, 
People really judged the way in which you spoke. You wanted to be, you know, polished and sophisticated and entertaining. And, and that's how it was judged there in Greek. Uh, you know, th- that's what they focused on. And so, you know, it seems that these false apostles were quite good in the way in which they communicated in their speech. And they were quite entertaining. But yet, Paul is either unwilling or unable to have this polished, entertaining speech like these false teachers and you know he's really not concerned with that he's more concerned about faithfully preaching the truth a story is told about a dinner party where guests were expected to stand after the meal and recite something for the group and within this group was a famous actor and he gets up and he quotes the 23rd psalm dealing with god being our shepherd and you know because he's an actor he does it you know very eloquently with dramatic flair and emotion and you know people are applauding when he gets done and sits down and then after he's done this simple man stands up very quietly shares the same psalm and people are kind of snickering a bit because of the drastic contrast as he starts from you know the d- dramatic flair of this actor versus this quiet man who shares these words. But as he continues to share, people recognize this is straight from his heart, that he truly believed God was his shepherd. And as he finished, people were just quiet and reflective. And the man who was the actor leaned over and said, I know the psalm, but you know the shepherd. That was the difference between the preaching of Paul and the preaching of these false apostles. Paul wasn't polished and, and, you know, focused on entertaining like they were, but yet he knew God very well. He had that personal deep relationship. And because of that, he preached with power. And Paul admits, yeah, I'm untrained in speech. I didn't go to these schools here in Corinth to train myself to do this like some of these other guys who claim to be apostles. But understand something, I am not untrained in knowledge. I might not be the best communicator, but I do know what I'm talking about. I do know the truths of God's word. And so that is what was most important to him. And the, the group here of Corinth, they were more interested in how the message was presented than, how, than what the message actually was. They were more concerned with the style of teaching than the content of teaching. And sadly, we see that a lot in the church world today, where there's a lot of people who are more concerned with being entertained than they are with being taught biblical truth, and there are a lot of pastors who are more focused on entertaining their congregation than actually teaching biblical truth to their congregation. You know, recently I saw a church promotion on Facebook for a sermon series that the church was about to start, and I think it's a great example of this desire to entertain versus a desire to truly teach biblical truth. Here's the um, promotion. The church is doing a series called A 
at the movies, and their goal is to find truth in Hollywood movies. I mean, if you want to find truth, find it in the Word of God. Don't try to find it in Hollywood movies. If you want to teach people the truth and help them grow in truth, you need the Word of God to do that. And so this church is seeking to entertain its people, but not really help them grow in truth. And I think we need to understand, God never designed the church for a place for us to be entertained. It was a place for us to grow in him, a place for us to grow in our relationships with each other. And if the word of God is not taught, then that is not going to, chance, uh, to take place. Paul goes on to say in verse 6, We have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. You know, Paul might say, yeah, my my speech might not be as polished or as entertaining as these false apostles were, but you know what? I do thoroughly manifest myself among you in all things. I'm honest, I'm transparent, I reveal these things to you. So the first main difference between Paul and these false apostles is that Paul was full of biblical knowledge and thoroughly manifest himself, but these false apostles weren't. You know, they were good communicators, but they were just entertainers. You know, they didn't have biblical truth that they were passing on like Paul did. They didn't really say anything of true biblical value. You know, I think when we're trying to determine if someone is teaching the truth, if someone has a biblical message to declare to us, we should be more focused on the content than the delivery. You know, and I think we can get so sidetracked by, you know, wow, all the, the smoke screen that's up and the delivery and, and how well it's presented that we miss, you know, What's the content? You know, what's actually being said? I remember when I was young, I went to a church that was very much an entertaining church, and I was telling a friend of mine, you know, who was a youth pastor, oh, man, this was so great and so wonderful, and I'm telling all these stories. And he just stops me and says, you know, what did you learn from the Bible? Oh, man, there was this great story, and then they showed this clip, and I'm going on and on. What did you learn from the Bible? And I had to just stop and think, nothing. There was nothing I learned at all in that, but I was fully entertained, and I realized nothing of value stuck with me, and we need to be more focused on content than delivery. Now Paul's going to share the second difference that he has with these false apostles in verses 7 through 9. Did I commit sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied, and in everything I kept myself from being burdensome to you, and so I will keep myself. Paul starts by asking an important question to make these Corinthian believers think a little bit. He says, did I commit sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? Now, something to understand is in that culture, not only was, you know, the way in which you communicated, was it polished, was it entertaining, important, but the value of your message was based on whether you charged or not. If you did something for free, it was looked at, well, you're an amateur. You're doing it for free because you're not good enough to actually charge money and get a, a, you know, a reward for this amazing ability to speak and, and this message that you have. And so they viewed people of, oh, if you charged a lot, it must be because you're really worth it. It must be because you're so good and we want to listen and pay for that. And so Paul, he didn't do that. He presented the gospel. He presented the word of God free of charge. Well, you're just an amateur then, Paul. If you're not going to charge anything, then your message must not have much importance. It must not have much value because you're not charging us anything for it. And so he wants them to think about it. You know, did I commit a sin 
in humbling myself and exalting you and presenting this free of charge? Is there really something wrong with me giving this to you free as opposed to asking for money in return? Paul goes on to say in verse 9, And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. Paul wants them to understand, hey, I never asked anything from you. I I never asked for money. I never received from you. Even when I was in need there in Corinth, I didn't ask you to meet it. Actually, the brethren from Macedonia, they took care of that need. I've never been in a place where I've asked you to give me money. And Paul's going to go on to share why. Because he was perfectly within his rights to say, hey, I'm ministering to you guys. You guys should take care of my needs. Paul deals with that in other portions of Scripture. But he has a purpose for why he's specifically not wanting to take money from the Corinthians. Notice what he says in verses 10 through 12. As the truth of Christ is in me, no one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows. But what I do, I will also continue to do that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things in which they boast. Paul wants them to understand something. These false apostles, they love to boast in things, and they love to try to say, hey, look at how we are just like the other apostles. And that's how they got credibility. That's how they got a following. Hey, see how we're like Paul here. See how we're like Peter there. See how we're like this person and that person. So they wanted to compare themselves and say, look at how we're like so-and-so. Well, Paul says, you know what? I boast in the fact that I don't take any money from you. Why? Because I know they will never boast in that. Because that's one of their main motivations. That's one of their main things of why they're doing this is to get your money. And so they're never going to say, hey, we like Paul aren't going to take anything from you guys. He knew that was the reality. And so he says, so they won't try to compare themselves to me. I specifically have chosen not to take anything from you so that these guys won't be able to try to say, hey, we're just like Paul. Listen to us. So the second difference that Paul had with these false apostles is that Paul humbled himself and sacrificially ministered free of charge, but the false apostles didn't. You know, Paul wasn't an apostle for what he could get out of it. Oh, this is a great power position, and I can really, you know, take authority here, and I can get a lot of things. That wasn't his motivation at all. That is not why he did this. Paul was an apostle because God called him to do it, and he was willing to sacrifice to do it. Paul recognized ministry is a sacrifice, and ministry is a service to others. And he's going to go on and share some very specific things that he sacrificed, and you're going to realize how much he truly was willing to sacrifice for Christ. But I think this is another thing where, you know, as we're determining what is true, or who is true, and who is false, you know, Something we need to look at is, is this person in it for themselves? Are they getting into ministry for all that they can take from you or all that they can get from that position? Are they there to sacrifice and to serve? Or are they there to just take for themselves? And this is a great determining factor of whether or not they've truly been sent from God, whether or not they're truly called to this role, because ministry is a sacrifice. It is something that is focused on serving others, which is very different from what these false apostles we're doing. Paul's going to reveal the third difference in verses 13 through 15. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself 
transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Paul was sarcastic before when he calls them the most eminent apostles. Now he gets to the real nitty-gritty of what these guys really are. He calls them false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. You know, something important to note is that no one transforms themselves into a true apostle. It's something that is God-given. It's something that God calls you to do. You don't transform yourself into it and call yourself to it and appoint yourself to it. It's something that God has to do. But these false apostles, that's what they were doing. They were transforming themselves, appointing themselves to this, these false apostles. But also notice what he calls them deceitful workers because they were trying to make themselves something that they weren't. And Paul says, no wonder they're doing this, because the one that they truly follow does this as well. Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. You know, so often we see this picture, maybe you think of Satan with, you know, horns and a tail and a pitchfork and red and angry and mean and, you know, but he's also very capable of transforming himself into an angel of light, into presenting himself as something that he's not really, to deceive people, to get people to follow him, because you're not going to follow the horn person, but you might follow the angel of light. You might buy into the lie that he's something good and important and you should, you know, give your life to him. And so Satan is capable of that deception and, and, and making himself be seen as something he's not. And so Paul's saying, it's no wonder that these deceivers are able to do the same thing because that's who they truly follow. And they're capable as well of presenting themselves as true apostles when the reality is they're not. They're just false apostles. They, they, they want to be seen as though they're apostles of Christ and ministers of righteousness, but really they're apostles of Satan and ministers of evil. So the third difference between Paul and these false apostles is that Paul is a true apostle. And they are false apostles trying to be seen as something they're not. You know, since there are many knockoff apostles, knockoff ministers, knockoff pastors, people who want you to believe they're the real thing for the purpose of ripping you off, we got to be careful. Not everyone is what they seem to be. Not every message is what it's declared to be. And so we have to be those who are discerning. we got to look at someone's life. We've got to look at the message and make sure we don't just, hey, they say they're apostles, they must be. They say they're a pastor, they must be. They say they're speaking the truth, they must be. No, compare it to God's word to find out if it truly is. Because they're not going to wear a badge that says false teacher on it. They're not going to tell you that. They're going to make you believe that what they're saying is true. And the only way you're going to know it's false is if you take what they say and how they live and compare it to the word of God and find out whether or not it actually is. Jesus tells us how to be discerning of these people in Matthew 7, 15 through 17. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Jesus says, hey, you're going to know, because there's going to be people who are going to be look like sheep, but really inside they're ravenous wolves there to destroy sheep. Well, how do you know whether they're, they're truly sheep or not? How do you know they're truly true teachers of God or false teachers? Jesus says, well, the way you're going to know is the fruit in their life. The way in which they live is going to determine it, because you know what? 
Just like an apple tree is only going to produce apples, what they're going to produce is bad things because that's what they are. And so all you got to do is look at the fruit. You see, the fruit of a believer is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. When you don't see that evident, you recognize, hey, the fruit that should be coming out of their life is not there. I can see there's a problem here, and that should be a good uh, warning that there's something wrong, and this is not the kind of person that I want to follow. Now Paul's going to deal with the fourth difference in verses 16 through 21. I say again, let no one think me a fool, if otherwise at least receive me as a fool, that I also may boast a little. What I speak, I speak not according to the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting, seeing that many boast according to the flesh, I will boast also. For you put up with fools gladly, since you yourselves are wise. For you put up with it, If one brings you into bondage, if one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you on the face, to our shame, I say that we are too weak for that. But in whatever anyone is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. Now remember at the beginning of the chapter, Paul speaks about the folly of having to deal with his apostolic authority. And he kind of continues with this reality that I feel it's foolish that I have to do this. And I feel like a fool even engaging in this. But I do feel like it's important that I deal with and share with my credentials versus these other guys. Even though this isn't something that makes me comfortable. This isn't something that I really want to do. And in verse 19, he says, hey... For you put up with fools gladly since you guys yourselves are so wise. Once again, Paul is being sarcastic. Since you're so wise and you put up with so many fools, well, you can put up with what I have to share then as well. Now, the biggest thing that I want you to note here is what they actually put up with. They're following false apostles. And what is it that these false apostles have done to them that they've continued to put up with? And the list that Paul gives here is pretty striking. He says, For you put up with it if one brings you into bondage, if one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, and if one strikes you on the face. Now, actually, in that culture, it wasn't uncommon for a public rebuke of a slap in the face for something wrong. And he's saying, these guys will even do that. I mean, imagine a church service where someone pulls, you know, someone up and says, hey, you're in sin, and then smacks them in the face. And, oh, you know, this person is just this apostolic authority. He has the authority to hit me, and, you know, I'm so sorry, and go back and sit down. I mean, they're putting up with this kind of stuff. Paul's bringing up this reality of what they're willing to put up. Yeah, and it's crazy that, hey, I'll put up with someone putting me into the bondage to devour me, you know, to smack me in the face. That's okay. You know, sadly, when you're not discerning, you get deceived. And the consequence of getting deceived often is that you allow people then to take advantage of you, to abuse you, and to walk all over you. You know, this is something... That amazes me the most. I'm not amazed by the fact that there's false teachers who are trying to take advantage of people. What amazes me are the people who allow it. You know, when I watch what these guys say that is just so off the wall and that people still follow it, and what people are willing to give and what people are willing to sacrifice in following these self-proclaimed apostles or men of God or whatever it may be, that is the sad side of it. You know, I guess more of an extreme example is the very, or was the very charismatic leader, David Koresh, who actually sadly was from Houston. Uh, he started the cult Branch Davidians in Waco, Texas, uh, and he established this 
false teaching called spiritual weddings, which basically gave him the right to sleep with any woman who was in the cult. And so, you know what? Husbands were willingly giving their wives to this man. Mothers and fathers were willingly giving their daughters, some of them who were young teenagers, to this man to sleep with and have kids with. I mean, it's crazy that they're saying, you know what? Oh, we believe that you're this you know, anointed one from God, and so we're willing to do this. And if you know the story, the FBI had a 51-day standoff with them. The whole compound burned down. 76 people died. You know, people were not just willing to give their wives and their children. They were willing to give their life in following this false teacher because they were deceived, and it ended with them being taken advantage of and abused. And so Paul says, hey, this is what's going on with you guys. You're following these people, and you're so deceived that you're allowing this abuse to take place with you. And But notice he says, this is a, a real sarcastic statement here, to our shame, I say, we are too weak for that. Guilty as charged, guys. Yeah, we won't devour you. you know, we won't take advantage of you. We won't slap you in the face. Yeah, we're too weak for that. Remember the beginning of you know, the last chapter, Paul dealt with the fact that they saw him as so weak in comparison to these other people. Well, yes, we truly are, to our shame, too weak to abuse you. And he's being sarcastic. He's revealing this reality of, hey, we would never treat you guys the way in which these false apostles treat you. The fourth difference between Paul and these false apostles is Paul treated the Corinthians in a godly way, but the false apostles didn't. You know, this is another great way to determine, is this person true, is this person false? Ask the question, how do they treat me? How do they treat the congregation that they're claiming to be sent by God to minister to? Are they treating people in a godly way or are they treating people in an ungodly way? Are they abusing people? Are they taking advantage of people? Are they exalting themselves to have power over people that God never gave them? You know, these are questions you should be pondering and thinking because if the answer is yes, that's a false person that you don't want to be under, that you want to walk away from that ministry. The authoritarian leadership that is in so many of these cults and sadly in a lot of churches is not what God has established, and it's something that causes a lot of problems. And so it's another warning. Paul's showing the difference between how he treated the people that God called himself to and these false teachers. Well, now Paul's going to finish this chapter sharing the fifth thing that's different but within it, he's giving this long list of his credentials, of what he says, you know what, if I'm going to look at anything that determines whether or not I'm apostle, this is my list. And I'm thinking, you know what, if I'm Paul, I might list how many churches I planted, how many people got saved. I mean, the things that we would typically think of, I've been on all these missionary journeys, look at all the things that have happened. He doesn't mention any of that stuff. But notice what he does mention. He starts off his list kind of seeing how he's somewhat the same Verse 22, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. Paul starts with these questions. It seems that this was some of the credentials that these false apostles are saying, well, I'm a true apostle because of the fact that I'm a Hebrew, I'm an Israelite, I'm a, a child of Abraham, and, and that's what gives me the authority to be this. And Paul's saying, well, I'm all those things as well, but he gets to the more important thing. Are they ministers of Christ? That's the real question. And here's the thing that I find so interesting, because that term minister, what does it mean? 
What is Paul saying and what are they saying when it says minister of Christ? Because the Greek word translated minister describes a humble servant, a menial worker, literally a person who waits tables. It's not some exalted role, exalted position. It's a position of humble service. But here's the problem. These false teachers, false apostles, they took this term minister of Christ and they elevated it and they promoted it to be a, a, a title of exaltation and privilege like it was speaking of a king instead of speaking of a humble servant. You know, when I did ministry in Scotland, I saw this a lot, especially with the Church of Scotland and people who use this term minister to describe themselves. And they definitely, you know, they would say things like, you know what, I am the minister, so you guys should serve me because being a minister is this exalted role and I now should be served by you or I can't do that menial task. I'm the minister. That's beneath me. You guys go clean that or you guys go deal with with that. Since I'm the minister, I should be exalted and privileged, not expected to humbly serve. You see, they missed the whole meaning of the word. They missed the whole concept of what it means to be in that pastoral, that ministry role. It's to serve God, serve others humbly. They thought, no, this is a role where I can exalt myself and get what I want and get people to serve me. And this was similar, the problem with these false teachers, they redefine what it really was to be a minister. And then these people thinking, oh, you're so great, you're so wonderful. And Paul's saying, well, you know what? I truly am a servant, a humble servant of Christ. And let me tell you why. Let me show you what it means to truly serve Christ. Notice how he goes on to give this powerful list of his life. Verse 23. And labors more abundant, and stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. Paul starts off with a general list of things in his life that help determine the reality that he truly is a humble servant of Christ, that he labored as a servant. He worked hard more than most as a servant of Jesus. He was whipped many times because he was a humble servant of Christ. He was imprisoned many times because he was a humble servant of Christ. And people tried to kill him many times. Why? Because he was a humble servant of Christ. So he starts with this general statement and now he's going to get more specific of what he actually went through as this humble servant of Christ. Verse 24, from the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. In Deuteronomy, you find that the Jewish law said that only the amount that you could hit someone was just 40 times. You couldn't exceed that. And so they determined, well, you know what, we're just going to do 39 just in case we miscount. We don't want to go over 40 and go against the law. And so they would only whip someone 39 times. Well, Paul says, I encountered this horrible whipping, which would have been your back, your chest, and your shoulders five times. So that's 195 whips that he received. Why? Because he was some criminal? Why? Because he did something wrong. No, just because he preached the gospel, just because he was a humble servant of Christ. Paul goes on to say, three times I was beaten with rods. The Jews used whipping. Oftentimes the Romans would use rods, but guess what? The Romans didn't have any limit. They could beat you as much as they wanted. Paul says, three times I experienced this beating with rods. Why? Because I was a humble servant of Christ. Once I was stoned. And he's not talking about some hippie thing of speaking of his testimony of getting stoned on drugs. He was stoned in the sense of that was the way in which Jews used for capital punishment. 
And they did it for only one reason, to kill you. And they don't stop throwing stones at you until they think you're dead. In the book of Acts, we find that they did think Paul was dead. They left him here, there for dead. And, you know, either the Lord raised him or he wasn't fully dead. But the reality is he was stoned. People tried to kill him. They, they threw those stones at him with the desire to take his life. Why? Because he preached the gospel. Because he was a humble servant of Christ. Paul goes on to say, three times I was shipwrecked in a night and the day I have been in the deep. Now, the book of Acts is not a complete uh, account of all of Paul's life. We just see different you know, highlights of things. And just from the book of Acts, just from those highlights, we know that Paul took 18 journeys by ship. And up to this time when he wrote this letter, he's already had three shipwrecks. Now imagine that, you know, you travel a lot by plane. I mean, if you were in three plane crashes or three automobile accidents, you know, how many times would you have to have that happen before you finally said, I'm not going to go anymore? You know, Paul said, you know, what? even though I've been in all these shipwrecks and it's miserable and horrible, I spent a whole night and a day in the deep, in the, the sea. I continue on. Why? Because I'm a servant of Christ and I want to reach people for Christ. And if this is the cost, it's okay. In journeys, often. In perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. The word perils here means extreme danger, exposure to risk and harm. And Paul is saying, I encountered perils, this extreme danger from everything around me. There were so many different groups and different places and different journeys that I encountered perils why because i'm a humble servant of christ and seeking to serve him and minister for him i had encountered these things in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often in hunger and thirst in fasting often in cold and nakedness you know paul went without a lot of things he was cold he was naked he was hungry he suffered through a lot of the things that we take for granted that we have every day he had Missed out on that a lot. Why? Because once again, he was a humble servant of Christ. And notice how he concludes this list. Besides the other things, which come upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. So Paul lists all these things that he had to deal with. And, and notice the end of the list. Besides the other things which come upon me daily. My deep concern for all the churches. These are big things that have happened to me. But you know what? I still have to deal with daily issues that are super difficult. Why? Because I am a humble servant of Christ following him. And the stuff's coming in my life because of it. And, and notice what he says here. The God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. Some people might think, hey, surely you haven't gone through all of this, Paul. Well, yes, actually, I have. The fifth difference between Paul and these false apostles is that Paul was willing to suffer and die because of his calling as an apostle, but the false apostles were not. Another thing to determine if someone is truly called by God or not is to ask the question, what are they willing to suffer for that calling? What are they willing to endure for that calling? What are they willing to go through for that calling? Because when you're truly called by God to something, you're willing to endure, you're willing to suffer, you're willing to say, you know what, you've called me and I'm going to continue 
When we run away from it, when it's like, well, I got into this for what I could get out of it, and I'm not getting much, so I'm gone, that shows God's not the one who called you. You brought yourself into that because of what you could gain from it. Are you willing to endure difficulty like Paul? Paul finishes this list of hardship, of persecution, revealing something quite interesting of when this actually started in his life. You know, Paul got saved on a road to Damascus. And right after on that road, he meets Jesus. He's blind. And notice what transpires. Paul is looking back to that time. Right after he gets saved, he shares some insights with us. In Damascus, the governor under Artus the king was guarding the city of the Damascians with a garrison desiring to arrest me, but I was let down in a basket through a window and a wall and escaped from his hands. The thing that we're told about Paul, which is quite amazing, he gets saved. And the first thing he does is go out into the synagogues and goes out and starts to proclaim Jesus. And it is not well received because why did he go there? He went there to imprison and kill Christians. All of a sudden, he now becomes one and he starts proclaiming the Jesus he was trying to destroy. And those who used to be on his side now are desperate to kill him and they seek to kill him there in Damascus. Right? He just gets saved and his life is in danger. He has to be put in a basket, and lowered out of the city in order to survive. So from the beginning of Paul's ministry, literally from his salvation, he started suffering persecution. This wasn't something new to him. This was something common to him. And it's something that Jesus told him. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Jesus knew Paul's going to suffer a lot for me. And that's true of what happened to him. You know, the life of Paul is a drastic contrast to these false apostles. But you know what? It's a great comparison to the life of Jesus, who was willing to suffer and give his own life for you and I. Paul says a a great statement that I think we really need to ponder as we'll close with this. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Why was Paul willing to endure so much? You look at that list. Why would you be willing to be beaten and imprisoned and stoned and shipwrecked and continue on? Because Paul saw Jesus did so much for me. I want to respond in sacrificing for him. I'm willing to die for him because he died for me. I'm willing to go through suffering for him because he went through far more suffering for me. And he makes this statement. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. You know, we like Paul should be able to say, I've been crucified with Christ. If you accept Jesus Christ, then that is the reality for you. But can you continue to say, I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live. I don't live for myself. I don't live for my pleasures. I don't live for what I can get out of this life. But Christ lives in me and the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is what motivates me. That is what moves me because I recognize what Jesus has has done for me and therefore I want to give my life for him. In a world full of knockoff Christianity, knockoff Christians, knockoff pastors, there is a huge need for genuine true believers like Paul who are willing to live and sacrifice as humble servants for Christ. And the question for myself and for you 
is are we willing to do that? Are we willing to humbly sacrifice for Jesus? Is there something we're not willing to give up? Is there something that's in our life that say, you know what? I will not give this to the Lord. I will not sacrifice this. You know, what is it? Is there anything keeping us from being that humble servant who says, whatever you call me to do, whatever you want from me, Lord, I'll do it. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you are the perfect example of sacrifice. You tell us, you know, we only love you because you first loved us and you showed us that love so powerfully by the reality of your own sacrifice. You gave your life, not just dying on a cross, but you took our sin. You took the judgment that we deserve. You are the perfect example of humility, of willing to lay down your life, of of giving up comforts for your calling. And I pray that you would help us to follow that example, that you would help us to see that you were willing to give up so much for us Why is it that we hold on to things that don't really matter? Why is it that we're not willing to sacrifice many of the things that, you know, are just going to burn one day? Help us, Lord, to value things that will last for eternity. Help us to be willing to endure hardship and suffering for the sake of lives being changed with the gospel of people growing in the word of God. Help us not to shy away from truth because it's not popular, because it might be persecuted. I pray that you would give us that heart that we see in Paul, a humble servant willing to sacrifice, willing to die for you. Our world is in such desperate need of seeing genuine, true Christians, and I pray that us here in this room today would be those, Lord, that we could truly be what you call us to be, lights to this dark world, ambassadors for you in a way that is true, in a way that demonstrates who you are, to a world that has seen so much hypocrisy and false things that aren't true, that we would show them what is genuine and that they'd be moved and that they would come to know you. So Lord, I pray whatever is in our life hindering us, whatever is keeping us, that you would help remove that from us, that we truly could be those who sacrifice for you, for you are truly worth it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have the worship team come on up, and we're just going to close in a song of worship. And I just want you to remember how worthy God is to be worshiped and what he has done for you.